Welcome to the Factal Forecast, a look at the week's biggest stories and what they mean from the editors at Factal. I'm Jimmy Levis. Today is September 29th, and in this week's forecast, we've got Canada dropping COVID travel restrictions, a presidential election in Brazil, a new term at the U.S. Supreme Court, Puerto Rico ending tax exemptions on some foods, and a look at the Nord Stream gas pipeline leaks. You'll also read about these stories and more in our weekly newsletter, which you can find a link to in the show notes. Travelers will no longer need to provide proof of vaccination against coronavirus to enter Canada starting Saturday. That as the country eases its pandemic border measures. Officials from Canadian border communities had called on the government to lift travel restrictions, claiming they discouraged Americans from visiting to the detriment of local economies. Vaccine mandates have also been a political flashpoint. As you may recall, the self-proclaimed Freedom Convoy of Truckers brought Ottawa to a standstill for weeks in February. That is, before the federal government invoked the Emergencies Act for the first time ever to restore order. Now, Canada's health minister says the decision is not an indication that the pandemic is over, but that the rate of cases imported from across the border is insignificant. Meanwhile, critics say the impact of the restrictions could have long-lasting implications on cross-border trips, even after they're lifted. There's no indication whether the United States will follow suit and lift its own vaccination requirements on foreign visitors. Brazilians will go to the polls on Sunday to choose between current president and strongman Jair Bolsonaro and former leftist president Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva. Members of the Organization of American States will oversee the presidential election, as well as those for all national and regional chambers, and 27 governors. In an unprecedented move by the country's electoral court, members of the armed forces and civilians have been invited to take part in a transparency commission. That, following Bolsonaro's repeated unproven claims that the electronic voting machines are prone to fraud, despite their use in the country's elections for more than two decades. Since his election in 2018, Brazil's far-right president has claimed the armed forces as the only one that can guarantee political legitimacy and the rule of law. He has also claimed to have the unconditional support of the military, regardless of Sunday's results. Now, polls suggest Lula's popularity remains strong despite his past conviction in an anti-corruption case. The latest surveys show the progressive candidate could get more than 50% of the votes needed to avoid a runoff, but a tight race is expected. The U.S. Supreme Court will start a new session on Monday, a session in which it will make major decisions on voting rights, affirmative action, and free speech. The most conservative Supreme Court in generations lived up to its billing in its last session by overturning Roe v. Wade and limiting the EPA of much of its authority, among other decisions. This will also be the first session with a justice appointed by President Joe Biden. Ketanji Brown-Jackson officially took over for Stephen Breyer as an associate justice on June 30th. Now, the makeup of the court will remain the same unless there are multiple unexpected openings. That means liberals will keep a close eye on the decision of Moore v. Harper, which could give state legislatures the power to run federal elections as they see fit. The court may also end affirmative action when it comes to university admissions, as well as let religious vendors refuse to provide services to members of the LGBTQ community. Puerto Rico's current tax exemptions for prepared food are scheduled to end next Thursday. The end comes as the island continues reeling from Hurricane Fiona. Just last week, the United States declared a state of emergency for more than 78 municipalities in Puerto Rico following the hurricane's effects across the island. 
The storm left several people dead, bridges collapsed, and houses destroyed. It also caused nationwide power and water outages that have continued since the hurricane made landfall on September 18th. In fact, more than 30% of the island is currently without electricity. Now, the sales and use tax exemption that's set to end next week helped make prepared foods cheaper for those affected. And with so many people in Puerto Rico still waiting for compensation from the devastation that Hurricane Maria caused in 2017, the tax exemption helped those suffering with some respite. Finally, similar to Hurricane Maria's after-effects, Puerto Rican residents are frustrated with the speed and distribution of the federal emergency aid after this hurricane. And that's a frustration that's likely to continue. Our last item for this forecast is on the Nord Stream pipeline leaks. For more on that, I spoke with our Europe desk lead, Alex Moore. Hi, Alex. Hello, Jimmy. Boy, am I glad you're here. I'm hoping you can explain the story unfolding out in the Baltic Sea. I guess to start, do we know when these pipelines started to leak? And also, can you give us a bit of a refresher on these pipelines? I fear some listeners, outside of Europe at least, might not be familiar with them. Yeah, so these are a, a series of pipelines that run from Russia under the Baltic Sea to Germany. And uh, Nord Stream 1, those pipelines have been functioning for about a decade now. And uh, Nord Stream 2, which also leaked, was not actively transiting gas to Europe. If you recall, uh, I believe it was two days before the February full invasion of Ukraine, Germany pulled the plug on what was a very controversial, long-running dispute uh, over this new pipeline. Uh, multiple U.S. administrations opposed it. The U.K., other parts of Europe opposed it. And Germany finally pulled the plug right before the invasion. But Nord Stream 1 did continue to serve as a sort of key gas pipeline from Russia directly to Europe. And on Monday this week, the 26th, both pipelines started to leak. And do we know what caused the leaks? There's some reports that could be sabotage. What could you tell us about those? Uh, yeah, all, all the countries that sort of are their territorial waters uh, sort of surround where the leaks were conveniently. Uh, none of them happen in the territorial waters of the countries. But um, Denmark, Sweden, uh, they have all confirmed that their finding is that this was sort of a purposeful explosion that sabotaged the pipelines and led to big seismic activity. We, we've all seen the video, I'm sure, of the, the, you know, the bubbles in the sea. Other countries, Poland and Ukraine, have been a bit more unequivocal, uh, directly accusing Russia. Uh, the U.S. has been very sort of uh, cautious with signing any blame, as were the Danes and the Swedes. But what seems to be the conclusion all around is that it was a purposeful sabotage. I should also add, I forgot to add that Der Spiegel, the German major news outlet, they did report actually on Tuesday, I believe, that the CIA had given Germany intelligence one to two weeks ago that Russia was planning on doing something like this. Unconfirmed, obviously, but um, allegedly the CIA was aware of something that was going to happen. If it does turn out to be sabotage, can you explain a bit about who might gain from such an action? Yeah, I've already lived to, I think, uh, a lot of the eyes immediately, of course, went to Moscow for this. So Nord Stream 1 was halted indefinitely. It was pumping about 20% of normal capacity to Europe before late August. I believe it was August 31st when Russia shut it down for maintenance and then decided to indefinitely hold it um, due to some disputes over what Russia claimed were sanctions on parts uh, from Canada. 
so the pipeline was not actively pumping to Germany at the time, but there was gas in both pipelines, Nord Stream 1 and 2. But there are a couple reasons why, if it were Russia, again, we're not directly accusing them right now of doing it, but um, if it were them, you know, it could be Putin signaling to Europe that he is willing and able, crucially, to horizontally escalate sort of hybrid war efforts against the continent. Obviously, and I believe you and I have talked about this in the past on this podcast, but um, Russia is in the midst of sort of a prolonged energy war against continental Europe, sort of using their leverage as a massive supplier of European gas to sort of put pressure on European governments to halt or cease their support for Ukraine, specifically as winter comes and Europe starts to face, you know, recessionary pressures with uh, with industry, you know, subject to these rising energy costs. So this could be part of that. Uh, there are a couple other possible explanations. You know, very simply, it could just be them seeking to create sort of a force majeure out for Gazprom if they were to face lawsuits for not supplying the requisite amount of energy that they were contractually obliged to supply. It could also be part of another sort of running dispute that's been ongoing over the past few days between Gazprom and Naftogaz, who is Ukraine's uh, large state oil company, and specifically their transit providers that have in the past and still continue to be, even throughout the war, sort of a key transit way for Russian gas to get to Europe. So Naftogaz and Gazprom are in sort of a dispute right now over transit fees not being paid. So this could potentially, by signaling to Europe that throughout the winter, you're not going to get gas through Nord Stream, which it's all but sure that we're not going to see any gas pumping to Europe through Nord Stream. So it could be sort of a signal to Europe to put pressure on Ukraine to allow Naftogaz to sort of take the loss, I suppose, because those pipelines running through Ukraine are now just that much more important for Europe with Nord Stream gone. So a few possible explanations, and that's just the Russian side. Um, there have been some theories thrown out there, I'll call them, about uh, suspected involvement of other players, but we'll just stick with that for now. Any guess as to what might happen if sabotage is confirmed? Uh, I'm not quite sure. Um, honestly, I, I don't know. This is not something that I anticipated. I think we'll continue to see Europe try to do what they've been doing now for, you know, what, the last seven months since the full invasion, which is try to diversify their energy sources further away from Russia. You know, this was always sort of the argument against Germany going through with another Nord Stream pipeline was that uh, over-reliance upon the import of Russian hydrocarbons is potentially dangerous for these very reasons, giving them that leverage. So I think we'll see the EU further try to diversify their, their imports of energy. We've already seen them do so with Azerbaijan, for example. They signed a large energy contract with Azerbaijan a couple of months ago. So I think that ball will just continue to roll. As far as concrete responses, that, that's a good question outside of uh, the EU trying to further diversify their imports. Well, we're just about out of time, but what do you think folks should be watching for next then? Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously the, the big thing is um, any concrete, you know, be it leaked intelligence, whatever, that um, attribution that Moscow did it would be the big thing. Um, the leak is still ongoing. So the Danish said that it would take about a week for the leak to be capped. And that was uh, Tuesday. So Obviously, there's going to be environmental fallout, so we want to make sure that's capped as quick as possible and that's, you know, not catastrophic. So those are the two immediate-term things to watch out for. And 
again, I, I would keep an eye on the NAFTA gas gas prom dispute. Um, I don't exactly know or think we'll see Europe directly pressure NAFTA gas to sort of assuage to Gazprom's demands to make sure that that gas keeps transiting to Europe through Ukraine. But that is a thing, that's definitely a possibility. Well, I think we'll leave it there for now and hopefully not have to touch base on this again for anything worse. I know. Yeah, the, the war keeps uh, surprising us in unforeseen ways, doesn't it? That it does. Hey, again, thanks for uh, thanks for your time today. Thank you, Jimmy. Take care. As always, thank you for listening to The Factual Forecast. We publish our forward-looking podcast and newsletter each Thursday to help you get a jump start on the week ahead. Please subscribe and review wherever you find your podcasts. We'd love it if you'd consider telling a friend about us. Today's episode was produced with work from Factor editors Joe Vieira, Irene Viora, Jeff Lancet, and Jaime Calle Moreno. Our interview featured editor Alex Moore, and our music comes courtesy of Andrew Gosby. Until next time, if you have feedback, suggestions, or events we've missed, drop us a note by emailing hello at factual.com.